a collection of readings from the book of Proverbs. I won't read the verses, I'll just read them. It's on, it's on your sheets. Um, I'll be reading those in bold. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. The poor plead for mercy, but the rich answer harshly. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapour and a deadly snare. Whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. The rich are wise in their own eyes. One who is poor and discerning sees how deluded they are. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. Thanks, Isaac, uh, and welcome everyone. It is great to see you. Uh, my name is Jack, uh, and I'm one of the parish wardens here uh, at Barney's, uh, and we are at the end of a lightning series uh, in Proverbs. Uh, we've been looking at this book of Proverbs uh, and trying to understand wisdom. Uh, and this is the last uh, in our series, uh, and obviously it's uh, it's been such a quick uh, round in Proverbs that we're never going to be able to cover everything. Uh, but one of the things uh, that I am hoping uh, that we'll get out of this series uh, is actually a desire just to read Proverbs more, uh, and perhaps just to gain a few skills in it, uh, so that the book of Proverbs uh, is not this odd thing with little sayings, uh, but we're actually able to understand how to understand Proverbs, how to use it, uh, and how to see that it points towards Jesus uh, the whole way. Uh, so that's uh, my hope and prayer as we go forward, uh, that we are to continue to think uh, about this. Um, I should say as well as we begin, um, uh, the 
we will be going through, because of the nature of Proverbs, all the Proverbs you're going to need are on this sheet, and it is a little bit fuzzy, so I do apologise for that, um, but everything you will need will be on that sheet. I'll explain a little bit more later uh, what I've done there. Uh, and the final thing as well is that um, one of the things with wisdom is that uh, God gives us uh, a community to find wisdom. We don't uh, just sit down by ourselves uh, in order to get it. We actually have a community of believers around us and that's a, a crucial part of it. So there are going to be two points right at the back end of this talk where we're going to be able to talk to one another uh, and learn from one another. Um, so we'll do that at the end. One of those um, sessions will also be a Q&A uh, session uh, where Charles, just for any questions that you might have uh, about uh, proverbs uh, and wisdom uh, as we have gone through over the last three weeks. And today, uh, we are going to be thinking about money. Money, money, money in Jesus' world. How do we become wise when we think about wealth? Uh, But it's important as we start uh, this morning to ask uh, this question, why money? Why pick this topic? Because there were lots we could have chosen, right? Uh, Particularly as money is incredibly an incredibly private thing in our world. Uh, this is something that we typically don't talk about. Uh, so why are we just going to sort of barrel through this social convention uh, and spend the next half an hour just thinking about money? Uh, well, I've got two reasons why it's good for us to think about money and wealth. The first one is this, which is pretty simple, because the Bible talks about it a lot. The Bible spends a lot of time talking about wealth and money. It comes up again and again. Uh, In fact, there are over 50 proverbs in Proverbs itself that directly relate to money and wealth. Uh, It's all through the Psalms, it's all through the prophets, and it's all through the New Testament. Uh, In fact, Jesus himself talks about money a lot. In fact, he puts a lot of warnings around it. Uh, Have a look at Matthew 19, 24 on the screen here. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Or Luke 16, 13. No servant can be the slave of two masters. Such a slave will hate one and love the other, or will be loyal to one and despise the other. What does that mean? You cannot serve both God and money. These warnings should be enough, really, to make us realise that we need to think very carefully about money and wealth. Uh, Jesus couldn't be clearer. It is a significant threat to your faith, which means that we need to treat it with caution. But if this is generally true for people in this world, then I want to say that it is also specifically true for us because we live in a world that is uniquely conditioned by money. And so, secondly, and to misquote Barbie, and I do apologise for this, I'm a capitalist girl in a capitalist world. Right? We need to come to grips with the reality that we live in a society whose economy is largely a capitalist one. What is capitalism? Well, it's an economic system based on the private ownership of the means of production and their operation for profit. What does that mean? 
just means we like to own stuff privately, not the government. I like to own the stuff. And this is the water that we are swimming in. And if we are swimming in this water, then we are being shaped by it, whether we realise it or not. Uh, Daniel Bell Jr. uh, has written a book called The Economy of Desire, Uh, where he talks about these things. Uh, And he puts it like this. He says, Every economic order reflects a particular understanding of how reality hangs together. What the nature and end of the material world is, how that world operates, and the place of humans within it, including the nature of their behaviour and interactions as well as their purpose and prospects. What does he mean? Well, this. Every economic order is implicitly making claims about God and humanity and how the two interact as humanity strives for the good life. So like it or not, our capitalist economy is shaping us. It's discipling us. It's just that many of us don't realise it. Now, we could delve into this, but I want to try and give one really clear example of how we are affected by this capitalist worldview. Uh, Here are four uh, things that make up a capitalist worldview. Firstly, it's highly individualistic because capitalism is is about individual private ownership. Two, it's all about freedom to choose your own ends. Three, it's all about interest maximisation, specifically personal interest maximisation. And four, it is driven by competition. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I know that's a lot. But let me be provocative and try and give you an example of how I think Christians are discipled by this. If you have moved to a new church recently or thought about moving or helped someone else think about it, well, we almost certainly did it as a capitalist and not as a Christian. That is, we based, we chose the church based on individual preference. As we typically, uh, we think about what is best for me not necessarily what is best for the church that I'm going to be a part of. Uh, We choose, sorry, we prize the freedom that we have to choose. That is, we typically don't go to our pastors and elders and submit to their authority. We just sort of make a decision and then inform them once the decision's made. Why? Well, because it's my choice. It's all about my freedom to choose. Third, it's all about interest maximisation. I really like the teaching here. I really connect with the worship here. Community is really important and there are people at this new church that I really gel with and connect with. And four, then it's all driven by competition. We will go to multiple different churches and then we go to the one that offers us the best outcome. We essentially get them to bid for our service. Now, if you're not convinced by that, well, what do we call it when we look for churches? We call it church shopping, right? Only a capitalist would come up with that. Trying to think where you find a spiritual community. Right? We're all capitalists. Now, this is a funny example. It's not a money example. But what I'm trying to illustrate here is the profound impact that our economic system has in discipling us. It disciples us and it shapes us. And if it can impact us, this, if it can impact us to that degree, well, we need to be think super carefully about money, about the economic system that we, are, uh, that we are a part of. And so we're going to turn our attention to Proverbs 
uh, and we're going to jump in, but I'm going to pray for us uh, before we hit Proverbs properly. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you particularly for Proverbs. And we thank you for the way uh, that our world, uh, your word does confront us. Uh, it can make us feel uncomfortable. Uh, it can push our buttons sometimes. Uh, but we also know that in the gospel is freedom, is comfort, is joy, and there is contentment. And Father, we know that we live in a world like this. Uh, We worry about money. We worry about wealth. Uh, Help us to know the freedom of the gospel, the way that Jesus frees us uh, from greed to contentment and generosity. Help us to see that now uh, as we jump into Proverbs. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're midway through our series on Proverbs. We're at the end of it. And just to recap some of the big themes. Uh, We have seen the Hebrew word chokmah is super helpful for understanding what is going on. Wisdom, chokmah, is about how to create, not how to chaos. Chaos is the opposite of wisdom. But more than that, that Proverbs is about the gospel and how we are being reshaped for royalty as God works on us. But we're also moving from the first section of Proverbs to the second. We're entering into chapters 10 to 31, which is where these Proverbs live. We've chosen Lady Wisdom, and now we're reading on to become wise. But we've also seen that Proverbs is a strange genre. We don't live in a proverbial culture, so we're not very good at them. Uh, And so I want to look at just two tips that help us think through Proverbs. Uh, Two tips just to help us read before we start thinking about money. Uh, Firstly, on the small scale, the first tip for reading it uh, is to be aware of this literary technique called parallelism. That is, when you read a proverb, it almost always has two lines, and that's intentional. The first line sets it up, And the second line sharpens and intensifies the thought of the first. Let me give you an example. Have a look at 21.17 on your piece of paper there. 21.17, whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. You can see there the first line sets up the principle, whoever loves pleasure will become poor. But then the second line intensifies it by providing a concrete example of how the first line works. They will be poor because they waste their money on things like wine and olive oil. It's a very boomer kind of proverb, isn't it? We're going to do this in the 21st century. Whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves avocado for breakfast will never own a house. It's the modern day equivalent, isn't it? And there are different types of proverbs. Uh, Some are contrastive. Have a look at 10.2. Proverbs 10.2, these will all be in bold. Ill-gotten treasure has no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. This time, the first half is the negative, ill-gotten treasure, but the second line intensifies it by showing the contrast. Righteousness delivers from death. So that's uh, parallelism. What's the impact of this? Well, it forces us really to read these Proverbs slowly. The point of Proverbs is not to read them as fast as you can and tick it off your reading list. It's supposed to help you slow down and meditate on them, to be thinking about it. What does the first line say? 
How does the second line intensify it? But as you do that as well, to look out for the imagery. There's incredibly beautiful imagery in that. And we need to be thinking about that as we go through too. So that's parallelism. The second little tip uh, is to understand that Proverbs are situation sensitive. Uh, Proverbs can't be taken in isolation. That is, we need to read them all together because, and this is going to sound funny, Proverbs aren't always true. Proverbs aren't always true. What I mean by that? Well, they are situation specific. Here's the most famous example of this. Um, I just realised I don't have it on the screen. I don't think. No, I don't. So you'll just have to listen to hear what is going on here. Here's Proverbs 26.4. Don't answer the foolish argument of fools or you will become as foolish as they are. But this proverb is immediately followed by 26.5 which says, be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools or they will become wise in their own estimation. Did you hear it there? Did you see the problem? One says you should answer the fool. The other one says you should not answer the fool. Those two proverbs completely contradict each other. But here's the thing, that is not a bug. It is a feature of proverbs because wisdom is about knowing which one to choose, when to answer, and when to stay silent. Remember, Proverbs is all about helping us think through the grey areas. Uh, There are no hard and fast rules here. Uh, Trumper Longman, Tremper Longman III, a man whose name gives him instant credibility, um, puts it like this. Proverbs are situation sensitive. We must not apply them mechanically or absolutely. Experience, observation, instruction, learning from mistakes, and most importantly, revelation... All these lay the groundwork for reading the text, reading people, and reading the situation. I'd say as well you'd add community into that list as well. So given that, uh, what is our method then for trying to understand money? Uh, Let's get to money. Well, what I've done and what I've got for you on that piece of paper is I've collected all the proverbs that I could find on money. So I've printed them all off there. Uh, So if you would like to spend some more time thinking about this, you can go and spend some time meditating and reading over those proverbs. Uh, But what I've done is I've tried to draw out some principles or groupings from these proverbs uh, and then to see what they tell us about what thinking wisely about money looks like. Uh, And I've highlighted the bold ones, which are the ones which we are going to have a look at as we go through. But that's what I've done. I've basically just got all the proverbs and then I've looked to see whether I can find some common themes, common principles as we go through. So four principles then as we think about money. Here is number one, Proverbs and money. The first thing I think that you see when we look at Proverbs and money is that Proverbs is undeniably positive about money. Proverbs is undeniably positive about money. Now, this might seem funny given what we have been, the way that we have been talking about money so far. But it's important that we start here. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Proverbs 10.4 on your piece of paper. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Or 10.15. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. Or 21.20, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. In fact, I counted up 16 proverbs that are unambiguously positive about money. 
Now, this should be a bit of a surprise, given how negative Jesus appears to be about money and the way that we've talked about money so far. But it's so important that we start here. Money is not evil. Money is not bad. In fact, Proverbs could go as far as to say that money is a good gift of creation. Have a look at 14.23. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Or 28.19. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. Uh, The point is, God's creation is good. And if you work wisely, then you will be productive. And that is a good thing. The flip side is also true. If you are lazy or immoral, then you will be unproductive, which leads to poverty. And we should know this already from what we've seen in Proverbs. The chokmah, skilled living, is all about living well. And the creation around us is there to be cared for and nurtured. And as we do that, we should expect it to be productive. And so it shouldn't surprise us or embarrass us that income is then generated. This makes sense. If you work hard, you will produce wealth. My dad was a GP, and one of the first bits of advice as a country doctor in Ararat was, don't worry about the money. Treat your patients well and care for them, and the money will look after itself. In other ways, do your job honestly and with care for others, and a side benefit will be income generation. If you are diligent and wise as you work, barring sort of catastrophic events, then you will more than likely make money. But understand as well as we think about this, that when this is done well, income generation will always point towards beyond itself. If you are truly wise using money, if you are using money well then you'll be able to say, if this is what God has made, then what better wealth must be in him? When we look at the wealth, the little wealth that God has given us, it should prompt us to go, how much more wealth will be found in God? So that's where we start. That is the first building block for us as we think about money. Proverbs is positive about money. But Proverbs is also crystal clear about something else as well that there is something better than money. Principle two then, righteousness is greater than money. Uh, Have a look at two, sorry, ten two. Ill-gotten treasure has no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. Or 15, 16, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. You see, when we elevate money above righteousness, we run into trouble. Because ultimately, money is a created thing. Wealth works well when it operates in its place. When it is a means and not an end. When it is a tool and not the thing trying to be attained. And Proverbs gives us three reasons for this. Uh, Number one, money won't last. Uh, We see this in 10.2 that we read above. Ill-gotten treasure has no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. Uh, 23.5 puts it more poetically. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. 
for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Uh, Money is of this world. It won't last. In fact, when death comes, no amount of money will go with you into the next world. But what can? Well, righteousness can. We need to have an eternal perspective when it comes to money. It helps us realise that it doesn't last. And so it is foolish to chase it for its own sake. But there's something else that this eternal perspective helps us to see as well. Money has limited value. Money has limited value. Proverbs 11.4 Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. That last line, it links with 10.2. It's not just that money won't last, it's that it also has no value when it matters most. When you stand before God on the judgment throne, it will not matter how much money you have earned or made. The type of car that you drive, the location of your house, none of it will matter. None of your material possessions will be able to help you in that moment. It is only righteousness that matters. And so then thirdly, unethical wealth hurts its owner. 21.6, a fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapour and a deadly snare. Uh, Money can be a trap. Uh, When we pursue it, we become tempted by it and then we elevate it above righteousness. And as we do that, we get blinded as to what is going on around us. Uh, 28.11 puts it like this, the rich are wise in their own eyes one who is poor and discerning sees how deluded they are. And so this is why the Apostle Paul can say this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But we need to stay on the negative for just a few moments longer. Point three then, wealth shapes us from love to injustice. This is, in a sense, the corollary of number two. When we get the vertical wrong, that's point two, righteousness is greater than money. When we elevate wealth over righteousness, we also then get the horizontal wrong. When we don't love God, we don't love our neighbour around us. And so we create injustice. When we chase money and wealth, we will create injustice around us. Uh, Have a look at 18.23. The poor plead for mercy, but the rich answer harshly. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. You see, the love of money and its elevation above righteousness begins to warp and shape us. We lose sight of the end goal and of what God wants from us. And so we can become inward focused. We look to our own interests and not to those around us. And we forget God's heart for the poor, for the vulnerable, for the oppressed. We just look to maximise our own self-interest. And again, we need to realise that we are particularly vulnerable to this living in a capitalist system because our system is pressuring us to conform to this idea. Here is... Uh, uh, Bell Jr. again. He says, Capitalism is wrong 
because its discipline distorts human desires. It corrupts desire so that it no longer flows according to its proper created end. It twists desire and in doing so obstructs our friendship with God, one another and creation. Uh, Here is the confronting reality that we need to recognise. We are rich here in Adelaide. Even if you don't feel it, simply by living here, most of us are going to sit in the top 1% of the world in terms of wealth. Which means that when James starts talking about wealth in James 5, 1 to 6, he's really talking to us. Now, I kind of wanted to pull my punches here, by the way. I thought, ah, this is a little bit harsh. But even as I thought that, I figured, actually, no, we probably do need to hear this, don't we? Here is James, often called the Proverbs in the New Testament. James 5, 1 to 6. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who moved your field are crying out against you. You can see that horizontal here, can't you? The injustice. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. It's confronting, isn't it, to hear that? But the risk is real and we need to heed the warning. So what do we do then? Well, point four. Jesus frees us from greed for contentment and generosity. Jesus frees us from greed for contentment and generosity. Uh, There is one prayer in the whole book of Proverbs. And it is a prayer for those who have taken this encouragement and these warnings seriously. Uh, Proverbs 37 to 9, here it is. It's a beautiful prayer. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. See, Proverbs 30 is a prayer for contentment. There are dangers in being rich, but there are also dangers in being poor. But what they have in common is that they have forgotten their maker. They have focused on created things and not their creator. Proverbs 22.2, rich and poor have this in common, the Lord is the maker of them all. We avoid greed when we keep our eyes on our maker, when we realise what it is that he has done for us, that he has given us all things, this world that we live in, wisdom itself to order and create, but God has given us more than that. He has not just given us this world, He has given us his greatest treasure, a pearl beyond price. We become content when we understand God's unfathomable generosity towards us in Jesus. That in the gospel of Jesus that we have been given everything. Here is how Paul puts it 
using the metaphor of money. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What is this metaphor doing here? What are the riches? Well, the riches are righteousness. God who is rich in righteousness has given us those who are poor in righteousness the righteousness of Jesus. We can be generous and content not because we have attained righteousness ourselves but because Jesus did it on our behalf. And what is Paul doing here at this point in 2 Corinthians? Well, he is motivating the Corinthians for generosity. He is freeing them from greed for contentment and generosity. Here's Ray Orland, how he puts it. He says, He, Paul, does not appeal to our emotions with sob stories. He does not order our wills with commands. He shows us Jesus. Our Saviour was rich with heaven, but he gave it up and came down in our poverty so that we might become rich with him forever. He lost so that we could gain. That is his wisdom. He changes what we do with our money. So what do we do with this change? Well, the great call for us is to be radically different to the world around us when it comes to our money. God's generosity is not there to meet our wildest consumer needs. Instead, it is to be used to reflect the heart of God. It is to be used for the poor, for the vulnerable, to promote justice around us and to point back towards Jesus, the one who has wealth in him, untold amounts of wealth, which are free for anyone who turns to him. So what have we looked at today? Well, money and wealth are good things, but they are only good things when they are ordered correctly. When wealth is elevated above righteousness, it distorts our relationship with God and with those around us. And we live in a system that is actively pushing us towards this. How do we escape that? Well, we escape it by focusing our eyes on Jesus, the one who gave us everything in perfect generosity. The gospel frees us from greed for generosity and contentment.